Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Tonight, we're going to talk about this Facebook post that Brad Harab from Apologetics Press put out. I thought it was profound, and it, quite frankly, it's validating. And uh, I've received messages that, that, that it's been validating for quite a few people. And evidently, with the response that Dr. Harab, Harab had, it's validating for a great many people that I could even comprehend. Uh, good to see everybody in the live stream. Uh, it always blows my mind. We have on average of 50 folks on the Tuesday night live stream. Uh, that's a testament to uh, what Jonathan and Eric, and Eric have built in digital Bible study. I hope that you uh, like listening to me and you want to follow me on, on more. You can follow the Facebook uh, page, Cogitations. I'll get it out in a minute. And you can also subscribe to the podcast where this right here will be in audio format and it will be released uh, sometime tomorrow morning, mid-morning. Anyway, um, well, let's get into the podcast. Good. Well, first off, let me say hello to everybody. I think I can still get you. Uh, Mercy, good to see you. And uh, Christine Woodall, good to see you. And uh, Melissa Price, good to see you in the live stream. There's Deborah O'Neill. She's already listened to me once today. And uh, Gwen Cooper, good evening to you. And Terry Purdy, as always, has three watching on his device. And Katie Smith is here. So glad you are. Missy, it's going really well. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but my voice, I feel like it's about an octave lower. And uh, that's because we're all passing around a little bit of a bug up here, I guess. Uh, Anthony's a little puny. LaBeth just got over being sick. Abigail, I don't know if she's too mean to get sick or not, but... Uh, She's not been sick. Uh, hopefully she doesn't get it. But anyway, I don't feel bad. I don't feel drained. I just have a little bit of a sore throat. And my voice is, is little, my voice is a little bit lower. Actually, I wish I sounded like this all the time. But I don't know. Maybe y'all wouldn't like that. Anyway, that's all I'm saying about that. Uh, good evening, uh, Jenny Blackwell. And of course, I may have said hello. Uh, I can't remember. But Gita? No, I'm not too cold up here at all. In fact, I just had to make a run to the grocery store, and there was snow on the ground, but I left my flip-flops on. So, uh, yeah, I guess that makes me a true Canadian now or something. All right, let's get into the meat of the podcast. Uh, so thankful for, uh, for y'all being here. I want to I read this. Let me, and now, as I'm reading this, I'm not going to be able to see your comments. But I'm going to read this, and I'm going to read it in its entirety and then I want to offer you some of my commentary on it. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I really want us to focus on. And I hate to say it, but what I'm, what my commentary part of this podcast, y'all, if you've been listening to me any length of time, it's going to be nothing you haven't heard before. And just remember, it's a 2,000-year-old text. You're going to hear this stuff over and over again if, if folks are doing what you're supposed to. Anyway, this is Brad Harab. And this, I tell you what, let me just go to his... Let me just go to his Facebook page. I want to sh I want to tell you how much this has been shared around and stuff. Let's see. Well, where is it at? Right here. 
It's got 284 positive impressions, 108 shares. So probably tens of thousands of people have seen this because it's been shared by 108 people. There's 42 comments. And let me tell you something. Brad has obviously surrounded himself with some really good talent and some talented men, and they're really just whooping up a storm over there at Focus Press. I've been very impressed with uh, the Think Deeper podcast and some of the other things, and the Church Reset, the book by Jack Wilkie, and some of the things, the memes and stuff that are coming out. So I highly suggest you go over there and check them out. All right, let me read this. Stop the Anonymous Complaints by Brad Harib, Ph.D. How can we make our local congregations stronger? Stop allowing members to hide behind the elders and instead encourage reconciliation. Teach members how to confront other members in the spirit of humility, mercy, and love. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard about elders confronting members or the preacher with a complaint from another member. Oftentimes, this confrontation is done while keeping the complaining party anonymous. And so, the confronted member sits in an elders' meeting, being on the receiving end of comments like, We've been told your children made a mess in the teacher's workroom. We've been told, or we've had complaints, that your sermons are too long or too short. Someone came to us about something you put on Facebook. We've had complaints about your children running through the building. The sermon you preached offended some of our members. Someone came to us about your daughter's immodest dress. And the list goes on and on. Sadly, when you ask who the complaining party is, the common response is, well, they have asked that we not reveal their name. As a result, the person who is confronted never has the ability to fully explain to that person their side, or more importantly, to reconcile. Instead, the confronted party spends the next 24 hours, or more, I might add, trying to figure out exactly who brought up the complaint, and bitterness often ensues. I know personally of two or three elders who have positioned themselves in various congregations as the person to quote-unquote go to if you have charges against someone else. They are quick to hear complaints. Sadly, these same men are not pursuing reconciliation between members. They are simply trying to be people-pleasers and smooth things over. While they may believe this anonymous approach is most beneficial, simply put, it does not work, and it goes against the biblical principle of reconciliation and it goes against Matthew chapter 18 when sin is involved. Instead, it turns the situation into a big battle of he said, she said, with members trying to determine whose side the elders are on. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 17 says, The first one to plead his cause seems right, until his neighbor comes and examines him. Solomon recognized that the first person to complain seems right but he recognized there are two sides to every story. Imagine the changes that would happen if elders refused to hear these complaints and instead directed the complainer to the person who offended them 
Don't like something the preacher said? Let's go talk to him and see if he really meant it the way you heard it. Imagine how many relationships could be salvaged if the leadership of the congregation just facilitated a face-to-face meeting between two parties. For instance, imagine this hypothetical situation. A woman comes to the elders complaining about someone's children making a mess in the teacher's workroom. She demands they confront the mother of the children, put a lock on the door to the workroom, and make an announcement that children under 16 are no longer allowed in the workroom. Imagine the difference that would happen if the elder she approached asked her to meet with him and the mother of the child. Maybe before the meeting he studies with her on humility or loving as Jesus loved. Imagine if the mother of the child was allowed to apologize and offered to have her child clean up the mess, or offered money to replace wasted supplies. Or imagine if the mother pointed out that while she and her children were in the classroom, it was actually the youth minister that made the mess. The point is this. Bringing two parties together allows both sides to be clearly explained and allows for the chance of reconciliation. If we want our local congregations to be strong, we must be able to confront one another in the spirit of love, realizing we are all part of the same Christian family with the same goal of heaven. Folks, there is a difference between union and unity. Unity is like a steel ball bearing. You can take a steel ball bearing and put it on a concrete slab and hit it with a 12-pound sledgehammer, and the steel ball bearing will not be marred, and you will drive it through the concrete, and it will split the concrete. Unity is very important, and unity is very strong. A truly unified congregation is almost impervious to anything and it is certainly impervious to outside pressure. A unified congregation, just, or excuse me, not unified, union, I believe I misspoke. I should have said there is a difference between union and unity. Uh, There are, you could, well, let me, this is kind of crass. You take two tomcats and tie their tails together, you have achieved union. They are not unified. They are not together with the same goal in mind. You might have a congregation of a couple hundred members, but if they do stuff like this, if this kind of behavior is allowed, you have not achieved unity, you just have union. And you will always have a small group of people who are vocal, who are actually running the show, and usually running the church and leading the church by proxy through the eldership. This is one of the most devastating things that a congregation can be. This is one of the most devastating things that can happen to a congregation. And it always happens because of weak, worldly-minded leadership where we are more concerned with making people happy and trying to smooth things over than we are with doing the right thing, which is usually the hard thing, and getting to the bottom of things. Folks, I have personally been victim of this particular incident right here before. So much so has this bothered me 
that I probably will never be able to, quote-unquote, preach at a congregation again other than where I'm at right now because it would be very hard for me to trust that my eldership would actually do what is right. I would almost have to put it in writing that I will never, ever have to deal with anonymous criticism. I don't mind dealing with criticism. It's anonymous criticism that I refuse to deal with. Now, let me go to the comments and see what kind of comments we've got. Absolutely, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, even whether it needs it or not. It might not be, it might be squeaking not because of the grease, because of the bearings are worn out. And uh, anyway, so good comments here. How can we better ourselves if we can't confront each other? What, Christine, that's the thing, you cannot. So you cannot, you cannot get better. And uh, that's it. Love will lift each other up. And we need godly communication. And uh, Christine, nobody's judging all elderships by one eldership. But here's the thing. If I, if I see this run so rampant and I see it so often, then my hackles are going to be raised. And I will tell you this. I can, I can assemble a room full of preachers and I can throw a dart with my, with blindfolded with my, after having spun around four or five times and I can throw a dart and I'll hit a preacher that's dealt with this right here. It's very, very sad. And that's right, Sue Ross. We should never respond to anonymous anything. Yeah, I've, I've received letters. I've written a couple of articles and probably more than a couple now for, uh, the Fulton County Gospel Journal, or Fulton County Gospel News. And there's been two or three times I've received letters. And uh, yeah, luckily, luckily I've received a couple of letters that were, um, the, the guy signed his name and stuff like that, but I'm, I've received anonymous letters before. And I'm like, I'm not even playing with this. You know, that, stuff like that just goes in the garbage. Um, anyway, let me get in here and let's, let's, First off, I want to talk about let me let me go back to the to the deal. Um here is Hold on, I've lost it. I did, I had it marked. My my mark is gone. Oh, right here, right here. All right. Uh they are simply trying to be people pleasers and smooth things over while they are while they believe this anonymous approach is most beneficial, simply put, it does not work and it goes against the biblical principle of reconciliation. It also goes against Matthew chapter eighteen when sin is involved. Instead, it turns the situation into one big battle of he said, she said. And, and th this is this is the point right here. This is why this is so devastating. This approach does not work if you allow people to to hide behind their anonymity. And it goes against the biblical principle of reconciliation. And that's found in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 18 is not the biblical principle of reconciliation. Matthew chapter 18 is the church discipline. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 and look at the biblical principle of reconciliation. And I guess really and truly, I should say this. I, I went a little far there. Matthew chapter 18 does involve reconciliation because obviously if your brother trespasses against you, you go to him and him alone, you notice you don't make an anonymous complaint to an eldership. 
And you might say, well, Tony, that, that my brother didn't sin. Like, if, if, if I don't like your preaching style and I think that you need to step down as a gospel preacher and I think you need to change, that you, that's not you being in sin. That's, that's you just doing something I don't like. So I'm going to go and tell the eldership, and I, won't, I don't want them to say that I said it because I don't want to deal with you coming and talking to me. Well, that attitude right there in itself is sinful, number one. But number two, a trespass against someone. If your brother trespasses against you, all right, not necessarily trespassing against God. This is Matthew chapter 18, by the way. Matthew chapter 18 is specifically for violations of a person's boundaries whenever it's not necessarily a boundary of God. For instance, um, whenever I was 16 years old, I run off the road and tore up about 100 yards or so of a man's fence. It was a mistake. I mean, I was driving like a bat out of you-know-where. But it wasn't sinful. I didn't sin against God. It was just something that happened. And before anybody says anything about the speed limit and obeying the laws of the land, there's no speed limit on them roads, folks. I, I was just driving too fast. And uh, anyway, I didn't sin against God. I sinned against this man. Anyway, he ended up letting me off the hook. I didn't have to pay him because the fence was forever old, and he didn't have any cows in it, and he was going to replace it when the weather broke anyway. So he said, You're, you got off lucky this time. But that's what Matthew chapter 18 is about. It's about interpersonal relationships. It's about solving conflict between brethren. It's about exactly what Brad Harab is, Brad Harab is writing about. Anyway, Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18 both are about reconciliation. Matthew chapter 18 focuses more on church discipline for the person who committed the wrong and won't repent. And then Matthew chapter 5 focuses on church discipline uh, from the perspective of or dealing with the person who was wronged and will not forgive. All right, so something to think about there. But I'm, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 and see exactly why this is so egregious and why, uh, and why it's so terrible uh, that, we, that, that you allow people to hide behind the mask of anonymity, and it's because you rob them of following the commandments of Jesus. All right? Let's go here to Matthew chapter 5. Where am I at here? I had it marked. Yeah, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 22 and following. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever says to his brother Raka shall be in the danger of shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, so because of this, now I'm not going to exegete those two verses. You get the gist. Because of this, though. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, in other words, you've sinned against your brother, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 
the reason why it is such an egregious error and a sin against God and a sin against the church to allow people to hide behind anonymous criticism is because it robs the person being criticized of his ability to do what God has commanded him to do, which is go make it right with his brother. He shouldn't even bring his gift to the altar. He can't offer anything but vain worship until he makes it right with his brother. And you've just told him he's trespassed against his brother or sister, I understand. And you've robbed him of the ability to make it right. Folks, that is akin to standing in the way of God's will, just like Elymas tried to withstand God's will whenever Paul was teaching the gospel to the proconsul. What did Paul call Elymas, who was standing in the way of God's will, who was trying to thwart God's will? It wasn't anything nice, and he struck him blind. All right. Now, that's it. If someone privately approaches us, they're doing so because Christ has commanded them to do so. And my husband, Sue Ross, my husband was a school that was a school, I think autocorrect got you. The word there is admonished, but anyway, he refused to respond to anonymous, anonymous reports of any kind. Absolutely. And anonymous critics can demoralize the person or persons who are criticized. Absolutely. And uh, that, that's it. I mean, absolutely. Good, good comments here, folks. Very good comments. Anyway, so how in the world could, um, could, could men who are supposed to be the best of us allow this to happen? It's because they've missed the mark. It's because they have stopped worrying about being shepherds of the flock. And they are just managers of the assets. They have turned into businessmen and have stopped being shepherds. And it's really sad. It's really sad that it happens, and I wish it wouldn't. But anyway, so how can we... How can we... uh how can we keep this from happening? What's a good passage of Scripture to turn to that every time you're faced with anonymous criticism uh, or every time you think about anonymously criticizing somebody, what's a passage of Scripture you can turn to to help you out? Well, this is the golden rule for interpersonal relationships. Did you know that if you were working more, you would have less time to complain? A story about Dave Ramsey. No. Dave Ramsey, good grief, Johnny Ramsey. I evident I, I thought I was a hundred percent. I don't think I'm a hundred percent. Y'all just, I'm sorry. Anyway, Johnny Ramsey, venerable, lamented Johnny Ramsey. He got a phone call one day from a sister, and she said, "And now she wasn't being anonymous. God bless her. <laughs> you know, uh, she had the stones to." to go at him and she's brother Ramsey. I'm just disgusted and I, or not disgusted. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm disenfranchised. I'm disheartened. That's not exactly what she said, but that's the effect of it. And she said, nobody's come to visit me. Nobody comes to see me. Nobody cares about me up there at that church. And you know what brother Ramsey told her? 
He didn't coddle her. He said, sister, you make me sick. Go get a pie and take it to a shut-in and leave me alone. And he hung up on her. Sunday rolls around. She meets him in the aisle. She says, Brother Ramsey, I have something to say to you. He said, I figured you might. She said, I was, I've never been as angry at any one person as I, am, as I was at you in my life. And I don't know what came over me, but I was so angry I couldn't do anything but go get a pie. And I carried it to Sister So-and-So, the shut-in. And we spent all afternoon drinking coffee and eating pie. And it was one of the best times I've had in quite a while. Thank you, Brother Ramsey. You see, if we busy ourselves, I mean, even the heathen understands this. Hank Williams Jr. has got a song. You better mind your own business. If you, if you mind your business, then you won't be minding mine. You know, I had a fellow when I was at the Bay Church of Christ. He called me and wanted to know my stance on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. You know where this dude was from? This dude's from California. What in the world? Now listen, I'm not saying that we don't need that we need to let sin slide. But I'm like, why do you want to know my my position on marriage, divorce, and remarriage? I don't know you from Adam's uncle. I've got way more than I can contend with in the 801 area code or whatever it was. I can't remember the area code now. Anyway, I got more than I can I can deal with in the in the little city of Bay, Arkansas. You know, it's like here in Riverview, Riverview, Moncton, Dieppe. I don't know anything that goes on anywhere else. I don't know everything that goes on here. I can't, I don't have enough bandwidth to worry about what anybody else is doing. I don't even have enough bandwidth to worry about what the brethren are doing when they're not sitting in the pews. We don't have pews here. We have chairs. But you understand the, the point. So you, 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 you busy. You busy yourself. You go to Romans chapter 6. If you want to be a slave to sin, lend your members as instruments of unrighteousness. If you want to be bought by, redeemed, and, and a slave to God, which is much better. I mean, nobody wants to be a slave, but if, you're, if you got to choose your master, I'm going to choose God over sin. Satan is not nearly as good a taskmaster and a, and, a, and a master as God. So if you want to be a slave to God, then you lend your members as instruments of righteousness. You won't have enough time to worry about what everybody else is doing. And there's a, there's a passage of Scripture that teaches that exact same thing, almost verbatim. Listen to it. Verse 9 of chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Like, you've got this down, and you've heard this before. And indeed, you do it toward all of them, all the brethren. Excuse me, I'm, I'm half quoting and half reading. I'm half quoting the King James and trying to read the New King James. Let me read this verse 10 again. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So, you want to not have this issue in the congregation where you are of anonymous criticisms? Increase in brotherly love. Go, go learn what being loving really is. Verse 11, that you 
aspire to lead a quiet life. That you aspire to lead. Hold on, I got to block somebody. We got a new private dating chat. This guy's spamming. Nope, hide. I want to hide it. I want to block user on YouTube. All right, I should. Good. It says they were brought. They were blocked. Well, you know you're getting a message out there when the spammers start coming in. Anyway, let me read this. So number one, brotherly love. Learn about it. Practice it more and more. Even though you're doing a good job of it now. Aspire to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands as we have commanded you. Why? That you may walk properly toward those who are outside. Outside of what? Outside the church. And that you may lack nothing. Do you know a member of the world can come into the Lord's church and they can tell whether or not that that church is worldly or spiritual? by the way the members treat one another? Folks know the world can recognize its own. So what do we do? Love more and more, lead a quiet life, mind our own business, work with our own hands, and do our own work with our own hands. You'll never have to worry about anonymous criticism in the congregation if everybody did this because everybody would be so busy minding their own business that they wouldn't have time to mind anybody else's. That's it. We're all on the same team. They painfully come to us out of love, seeking the best for our souls. They are preferably preferably hoping not to be rejected. So anyway, that's it. And, And another thing to look at, let's go to 1 Corinthians and notice something. Let's see, chapter 1. Oh, that's 2 Corinthians. No wonder it looked funny. I was having a panic attack. I was like, why, why is this not reading the way I thought it should read? All right. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. If someone comes to you with a criticism of someone else and you don't feel like you can facilitate a face-to-face meeting, you need to at least make it known to the person that criticized, look, I hear you. I understand this is important to you, but you've come to me talking about Brother John Smith. You understand what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to call John Smith, and I'm going to tell him, hey, Jane Doe came to me with this problem she has about you. You need to call her. I'm not going to take sides. I'm not going to try to sway that man one way or the other. I'm not going to be your your guy that takes him out. I, I tell everybody, you don't tell me anything about somebody else. I refuse to keep it confidential. Unless it's good news that they don't want, like, 
like Jonathan and Eric talked about before the show, they said, Eric, Jonathan said, hey, uh, should, should we make an announcement? And um, Eric said, well, they, they preferred not to put that news out just yet. That's different. So if, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, um, you know, John Smith has got a promotion at his work, but he don't want it f- announced from the pulpit just yet. He just wants you to pray for him. Okay, I'm going to keep that anonymous. I'm going to keep that quiet. But if you come to me and say, hey, John Smith, I saw him at the bar on Saturday night with a woman that's not his wife, and he is drunk. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call John Smith, and I'm going to say, hey, Jim Jones was just in my office, and you need to call him. I'm not going to tell him what Jim Jones said. Not at all. That's the way you handle these things. And you make, and when Jim Jones comes to you and says, hey, John Smith was at the bar drunk with a woman that's not his wife, you let Jim Jones know, hey, look, you understand, I'm not keeping this anonymous. My, my, my very next person that I'm going to talk to after I talk to you is going to be him, and I'm not going to tell him anything. I'm going to tell him to call you. The, the, the sad thing is that don't even take much backbone. It doesn't cost you anything to do right here. Yeah, you know, we cannot force repentance, but the Lord desires that we uh, provide an opportunity for it. We need to seek it out. Or excuse me, we need to seek out the one who has sinned. We must not be negligent. Most importantly, this is to be done out of love. If we do not love the sinner's soul, we have no business approaching them we are trying to save a soul. And that's beautiful, Christine. And I would add that sadly, most of this has nothing to do with sin. It has to do with just things I don't like. Like, hey, I don't like the way the preacher dresses. Hey, I don't like the way the preacher cuts his hair. I don't like the, I don't like the preacher's beard. I don't like Sister Sarah, and, and she doesn't discipline her kids the way she's supposed to. Or, you know, brother and sister Jones, they're, they're, they're young children. They run up and down the aisle after church. That bothers me. So instead of talking to them about it and just telling them, say, hey, listen, you know, we got a lot of old people here and your children running up and down the aisles. Could you please not do that? It makes me very anxious, and I'm scared that one of your children are going to cause one of these old people to trip. They go to the eldership, and then it's a deal. Then you got to make a deal out of it. And what you've done is you've made a mountain out of a molehill. And we are good at that in the Lord's church. We make molehills out of mountains. In other words, we, we don't give certain things that are very serious their proper credence. And then we make mountains out of molehills, which means we take little things like, hey, these young children are running them down the aisle. We blow that up to some big deal. So we don't do it. Or so we don't do it. So we so thus we make mountains out of molehills and molehills out of mountains. When if we would just understand, let's do our work with our own hands. Let's study to be quiet, and let's practice brotherly love. I think I missed one. Go back to First Thessalonians chapter four and and read it there. That's right. Matter of opinions, and it's not written. I don't even know if it is opinions. It's just. People are too salty and, 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 and tender, uh, too weak. 
Nobody gets offended in the foxhole. I think that comes from one of one of uh, Focus Press's podcast. Nobody gets offended in a foxhole. Everybody works it out. The problem is we've been treating a church for far too long like a cruise ship and not a battleship. We're on a battleship, folks, and we're under attack. Let's quit being petty. I feel like I've been very, very negative. I hope I haven't come across too negative. Uh, look, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think there's no hope. I do think that this problem is probably pandemic. I, I, I would say that everywhere, you're gonna, everywhere you go, you're going to run into issues like this. And the fact is, how do you navigate them? And my admonition, my plea to anyone listening to this who is either an elder or has influence over an elder, make sure because the make sure that your elders do not facilitate this kind of behavior and don't foster this kind of community because it's going to happen. The elders have to be the ones who squash it. The elders have to be the ones who nip it in the bud. And that's all I've got. Um, good, good conversation tonight. Good comments here. And uh, yeah, harshness and belittlement will only push a struggling Christian farther from the Lord. Well, we need to be firm about an unrepentant brother's need to repent. That's it. Yeah, I mean, we can we can have we can talk about church discipline all night long. Um, but that that really is not that really is not what we're discussing here. We're not really discussing church discipline. We're discussing interpersonal relationships. Remember, look at Paul, First Corinthians chapter uh, one, starting in verse ten. He didn't just because the house of Chloe wrote him a letter. He didn't discount it. You know, it, it may be the case that you you see something that's just beyond your ability to handle, but it still needs to be dealt with, and you have to partner with your leadership. It may be that you, you know, let, let's say that the, at the congregation where you are, you see the, the preacher hanging out in a bar. My suggestion is, is go to him and say, hey, what were you doing? But it may be that you have to go to the eldership and be like, look, the, I, I, I need, my suggestion would be go to the eldership and say, listen, I have something to say, and I don't feel like I can say it to the person that I need to say it to unless somebody is here to, to, to mediate. So you have the elder call the preacher in the office, you know, and, um, and you have your confrontation there, but you got to, you have to have the confrontation. You cannot, you cannot remain anonymous. Again, Paul did not let the household of Chloe remain anonymous. Could you imagine being members of the household of Chloe in the church in Corinth when this letter was read out loud? Something to think about. Terry Crooks, hey, Brother Tony, Matthew chapter 18, 20, for discipline or worshiping, so many preach that it can be used as a small group worship, and I don't see where they get this from the context. Well, that's because it's not in the context. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where two or more gather together in my name, there will I be also. That that doesn't teach. That doesn't teach anything at all about worship. It's about church discipline. Here's the thing. Just think about this. Just let, let's let's criticize this a little bit. Let's scrutinize it rather. Sorry, criticizes on my brain. Let's scrutinize this idea. Does Matthew chapter 18, 20 teach that when two or more people are gathered together for worship, that Jesus will be there? You know what the implication is? If one person is worshiping, Jesus won't be there. Well, what if you're traveling and you're traveling and there's no, there's no Christians around you and so in your hotel room, you get up, you read the Bible, you pray, you sing, you partake of the Lord's Supper. Is Jesus not with you? Is God not with you then? You see, the impl- this, an, an, an argument that proves too much doesn't prove anything at all. And this proposition that Matthew chapter 18, 20 where two or more are gathered together in my name, there will I be also. Okay, that's a, that's a statement. It's a proposition. Where two or more are gathered together in the authority of Jesus, there will Jesus be also. The implication there is it takes two for Jesus to show up. Well, I put forth to you that if you're away from the brethren through no fault of your own and you worship God, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, and you have to worship by yourself, that you're not really by yourself, that Jesus is with you. So Matthew chapter 18, 20 then proves way too much. Therefore, it doesn't prove anything at all if it's talking about worship. It only works if it's talking about church discipline. It takes at least two people to practice church discipline. That's what Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 teaches. All right. Mercy says, again, godly communication and the kind of interaction that pleases our Lord, absolutely. And Christine Woodall says, by no stretch of the imagination was the Savior suggesting that should several church members decide to forsake the Lord's Day assembly and instead gather themselves together on the golf course. Yeah, some people use that verse like that. Uh, that he would be in their midst, uh, blessing them stroke by stroke. Uh, such attempts to manipulate the Holy Scriptures for frivolous purposes are shameful travesties and bring no credit to those who enjoy who employ them. That's right. That's right. Excellent, excellent comments there. So Terry, I hope I answered your question there. Um, I just I don't see and and I don't I don't even like people saying, well, Matthew chapter eighteen twenty specifically is about church discipline, but. You can take the general application, you can take the general principle and apply it to worship. Like, no, no, you cannot. Because the the implication is that in order for Jesus to show up, it takes two. And I promise you, if you have the flu and your family has to leave you at home so you don't spread that bug to all the people at church, you worship at home, Jesus is with you, even though you're by yourself. So that blows Matthew eighteen twenty right out of the water if it comes to worship. I don't I don't like I don't like it. I don't like saying that. I think that's a, a foolish concession to make 
And people who make that concession are either ignorant of how to interpret the Bible or they're just trying to please people and smooth things over, which gets us back to the crux of the podcast. Don't do that. It never works out well. Folks, I think I'm going to, I think you're going to lose me. I think uh, I need to get off here and rest my voice. I am so thankful that you decided to tune in. I'm so thankful of the support that you give digitalbiblestudy.org. And I'm so thankful for the support that you give me as a podcaster. And what I am doing with the support that I'm getting as a podcaster, I am using to take my Cogitations Facebook page, which I would love for every one of you to go follow the Cogitations Facebook page and subscribe to the Cogitations podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. But, but the, <laughs> something dinged. Uh, but the support that you're giving me through Patreon and PayPal and stuff like that for the podcast, that's not support for the ministry. It goes straight to me, and I'm using all of that to um, to promote the Cogitations podcast. Anyway, uh, thank you so much. If you're listening to this after the fact, you'll see the ways to support me in the show notes. And for those of you that are on the live stream, just search it out and uh, be sure and support digitalbiblestudy.org. God bless you. Thank, thank you so much for your prayers. And, uh, and, and this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations, powered by digitalbiblestudy.org. God bless you, and we'll catch you on the flip side.